uh, if we've never had the opportunity to meet, my name is Phil, and I get the wonderful opportunity to be the pastor of this group of people who call themselves Clarity. And whether today is your first time uh, with us or you're someone who literally started the church with us, I just want to thank you for taking your time to be with us today. Now, for those of you who may not know me, um, uh, my youngest uh, daughter is named Mia. I actually, I think I, I, is there a picture of her? In the notes, ah, shoot, I forgot to do it. But anyways, um, think of me, whiter, shorter, skinnier. It looks nothing like me. Okay, so uh, if I'll, t- I'll show you a picture. I had a picture, it's a cute picture, and everyone was like, oh, okay. But uh, so for some of you who know my daughter, Mia, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my sister-in-law uh, had invited us over. They live on Bass Lake, and they said, you know, come on over. Uh, summer is ending, right? And uh, we're going to go boating, and we're going to go boating. And uh, I wasn't on the boat uh, because I hate boats and water and whatever. I know that that's a totally different story. But anyways, I, I was inside and Leona was on the boat with the kids and, and Leona and, and Mia were kind of snuggled on the boat while the kids were tubing. And uh, as my wife tells me, she's like, you'll never guess what happened. She, she came up, uh, she, told, she tells me, she said, yeah, while we're on the boat, we were snuggled there and Mia comes up to me and just, uh, you know, looks at me and says, mom, uh, will you French kiss me? <laughs> that's not the punchline. <laughs> Uh, not wanting to overreact, obviously, uh, my wife was like, French kiss? Uh, who told you about this thing called French kissing? To which uh, Mia said, my teacher told me. <laughs> so, so you do not want to send your kids to Cedar Island Elementary. Um, uh, of course, not satisfied that, with that answer, Leona goes, I know your teacher didn't didn't tell you that. I didn't tell, where did you learn this from? Where did you learn this idea of French kissing? Uh, To which uh, Mia says, "Um, daddy, daddy tells me he French kisses you all the time. (laughs) I may, I don't know, but uh, of course Leona knows that I would never ever say anything inappropriate to our kids. Uh, for those of you who laugh, know me way too well. So she knew that I probably, in my right mind, didn't say that. And so she said, Mia, t- just tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Uh, why did you, uh, where did you hear this from? You're not in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. Just tell me where you heard this from. And then uh, eventually Mia confessed. She said she heard it on a TV show. And, you know, and, oh, that kind of makes sense. And anyways, it continued boating and continued boating. And then all of a sudden, uh, they were still snuggled up. All of a sudden, Mia just leans over and gives Leon a quick kiss on the lips. And then she looks at her and goes, ha, you just got French kissed. <laughs> so uh, now that's uh, one flawed expectation regarding uh, French kissing that I am totally fine with my daughter carrying all the way into her wedding day. So totally fine with that. Now, I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. I don't know... Uh, what kind of model of love and marriage uh, was displayed for you. I don't know if your parent talked to you about French kissing and or not. (laughs) I don't know what life was like for you in your formative years. Uh, Some of you may have not had any model of uh, a marriage relationship in your home, or maybe you grew up with a very or severely dysfunctional one. Some of you, on the other hand, might have watched parents that had the kind of marriage that 
you know, if we sit and talk to you about your parents' marriage, it would almost sound like it has become an idol for you, if not at a minimum, a goal for you. You're like, oh, my parents had the best marriage. And so, and then, and then there's some of us who are kind of like in between. There, there, are, there are really great parts about our parents' marriage, and then there are some parts that we would be soon to forget. But regardless of your experience, here's what I know about all of us. We all carry some flawed expectations about what marriage and love is all about. Uh, for those of us who get married or uh, who pursue the hopes of getting married, we all carry these expectations with us. And uh, when things don't qu- go quite the way we should, uh, the way we hope they should, what happens is we uh, naturally is we become what become really disappointed, right? We go like, oh, we, this isn't how it's supposed to be. This is why social scientists report that about half the marriages in the United States end in divorce, right? This is a very super popular statistic. It's also why there's a growing trend in our culture that moves away from saying, like, you know, weekends are for, you know, for family and, you know, Saturday nights are for date nights. Instead, instead we have this, this growing culture that says what? Saturday nights are what? For the... Yeah, see? So you're right. So Saturday, the, all the young ones know. Saturday nights are for the boys, right? And all those you didn't know that, good for you. Good for you. You've been going to church. Uh, and you're guilty, so. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but, right? And we have this growing culture that's moving away to it. And it makes sense. It makes sense. Our flawed expectation of what love and marriage is supposed to be uh, is, is also the reason why there are a lot of married people who aren't divorced, but they have settled for coexisting with no intimacy. And here's what's kind of happening in our culture, right? Uh, marriage is taking a major hit. Why? Because the, the message all across is that marriage is lame and is boring. Some of you, when you told your friends that you got engaged, some of them were like, oh! You're going to French kiss. No. Um, but then some of them are like, oh. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I thought this was like a good thing. And everyone has, and why? Because that's kind of what our culture tells us about what marriage and the pursuit of love is all about. And so there's this feeling that you have to kind of choose between being single and lonely or married and lame. And nobody wants to be lonely, but nobody wants to live a boring life either, right? And as a result, people want the best of both worlds. And so they settle for cohabitation with a sexual partner. And that's cool. That's fine. Everybody's doing it. But how is that working for us, by the way? Uh, Past the instant gratification, past giving us kind of what we want for now and giving us this picture of a love that lasts a lifetime. It's not actually working. Just Google for yourself, pick up Siri and go, Siri, search the web for cohabitation statistics. I'm not gonna just, I'm not gonna bore you with all the numbers, but it's not working. It's not working. And while most of us, if not all of us, carry some flawed expectations about love and marriage, all of us want to be loved And we want to love well, at least we'd like to think that we're doing that well. And we want to feel as though when it comes to love that we are succeeding, that we are hashtag winning. (laughs) 
And that is why we launched this series. Um, I haven't talked about relationships in terms of marriage for a while. And for all you single people, I just want to let you know, uh, not to let the cat out of the bag, but as we talk through this series, just to let you know, happiness doesn't have to come through marriage. In fact, the whole point is that marriage doesn't create happiness for you. And, uh, and if you're single, and, and if, you know, you're, you, I know you're tempted to check out, but I hope you wouldn't. I hope that if you would pick up at least these cues in the context of what we're talking about regarding marriage, what does real love look like? I think, I think you'll be able to see that you, you too can also learn what it means to love your family, love your neighbors, love your coworkers, love the people that are closest to you. And if, and if I could even dream this idea, but that what would it mean for you to even love your enemies? But we've launched this series to give you hope, to help you... Have some hope that your relationships can be strong and that they could be healthy, regardless of how dysfunctional your past is, no matter how many times you've been married, regardless of your bad parent relationship or how great it was. We want to let you know that there is hope, regardless what is in the rearview mirror, whether there's a whole lot of wreckage or there really isn't much there at all. And so the secret to winning. And the premise of this series title is actually losing. Which is why we've entitled this series, Love is for Losers. And if that premise seems a little awkward, uh, here's a little explanation we gave last week as we were promoting this series. So run that clip. So this is our goal over the next few weeks is to talk about some real practical ways we can begin to choose to lose in finding success in loving well in our relationships. And today, uh, to kind of kick this off, I want to actually talk about what is love as we start this series. And um, first thing I want to just say, and, and this is kind of a, I think everyone knows this, but we sometimes forget this. But here's what love is. Love is what? It is always a choice, isn't it? In our culture, we have a really poor definition of love. As a matter of fact, if you look up in the dictionary, it says love is an intense feeling of deep affection. Another definition says a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone. It's the, I love you, you complete me. <laughs> right? right? That's, that's, that's how our culture defines it sometimes. Or... Uh, <laughs> On the other end, uh, it, uh, the dictionary also says love is a great interest or pleasure in something like, I love football, go Vikings, right? I love football. Uh, we have a very poor definition of love in our culture. I mean, we've got one word for love. I mean, the same feeling, the same sacrifice, the same care that you give to your children, the same word you use to describe lifelong commitment to another person is the same word that our culture likes to use for a cheeseburger. <laughs> Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, see, I'm loving it, right? And if you listen to music, right? We got any music lovers here, right? You find out that almost every song is a love song. And every one of them gets it wrong. In fact, there's this really catchy song on the radio, and I love it. It's really 
I love it. I love singing it with my kids. But every time I sing it, I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not right. I mean, here's the song, right? The, the, the hook goes like this. I'm in love with the shape of you, right? I don't know about you, but is there a problem with that? I mean, like, us, anyone o- older? Like, isn't there a problem with that phrase? I mean, I think so, right? Someone needs to tell Ed Sheeran, give that about 50 years. <laughs> Shapes change. I used to be in love with the shape of me. <laughs> Not so much no more. Time to go keto again. Um, anyways. But that's the problem with our culture, right? We, and because of that, I think we carry these flawed expectations and we don't really understand what true love is all about. And so here's what the path to pursuing love as a feeling ends up looking like in our culture. And I know this is oversimplifying it, but if I, as I say this, you'll know it's true, right? And this is how it goes. Like, hey, boy meets girl. They have fun together. They laugh together. <laughs> Right? They have feelings of chemistry. Oh my goodness, me too. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. Right? And then what do they say? Like, ah, let's have sex. And that's like true love. Right? That's, that is the method, the equation for pursuing love in our culture. The problem is that when you approach love and marriage this way, And what is discovered, and maybe this is your story, is that when you approach love and marriage this way, you only have enough to start a marriage with, but you don't really have enough to build a marriage on. And when we get married, our relationships, like all relationships, right, they hit problems. And I know this because I'm married. And I know this because every relationship faces problems and troubles. And when your relationships start facing troubles, guess what happens? You don't laugh as much. The chemistry fades. Like, I didn't know that about you. Oh my gosh. When did you change? Right? Marriage doesn't change us. It just reveals, like, who we really are, to be truthful. And then you don't have sex. And there's no more intimacy. And it's gone. And we start to think... When did we fall out of love? We just don't love each other anymore. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore like we used to do. Right? Right? And that's the kind of the, that's the ode of the song. And all of a sudden you're just like. <laughs> now the Apostle Paul wrote one of the most inspirational and clarifying things ever written about true and lasting love in a letter he wrote to people living in the city of Corinth. And one of the things that makes this so applicable is that he wasn't writing to married people. In fact, he was, reading just, he was writing just to people people. <laughs> and Paul was saying that this is what true love looks like no matter where you find yourself on the relationship spectrum. And here's what he has to say. And this is kind of our text today, and, and it, it says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. 
For marriages, when emotions or the feelings fade, we think we've fallen out of love. But the reality we've, is that we've never fallen out of love because <laughs> love is not something that you fall into. It's impossible to fall in love because love at its core is a choice. And some of you may be in a difficult season in your marriage or in a relationship and you may feel like you've fallen out of love and I'm telling you that if you will make the choice to do things that are loving, the feelings will follow. I mean, think about the things you did when you were dating, right? What made it so wonderful? Oh, we had so much respect for each other. And, and we were considerate of each other. No, no, you go. <laughs> you, I'll hold the door. I'll, oh, no, no, you pay. No, I'll pay, I'll pay. Oh, you're so sweet. And we, what do we do? We put each other first, right? Now I was like, go get it yourself. You didn't hold the door for me. Well, I thought you were going in first. Don't know why I get it. Last time I held it for you, you just said you didn't need my help. And like all of a sudden, it, things change, right? This is just, just like, okay, this is a, like, sorry, honey, I'm having a little session right now. I'm just <laughs> confessing. Maybe your marriage is perfect, but this is like how mine goes, all right? Well, I think we should probably do that. Maybe go back to that. Yeah, but I just don't like feel it anymore, Phil. You know, like when I'm feeling it, maybe I'll do it again. Well, you have to make the choice to do loving things. Then feelings will follow. You know how I know that? I mean, do you know how I know that? It's actually, it, part of it's from some of the easy answers. Like, oh, the Bible! Yeah, well, the Bible. But you know how I know this? It's, it's this great uh, um, theological special that they've been putting on TV for the last, like, 21 seasons called The Bachelor, right? So today we're getting our wisdom from the Bible and The Bachelor, okay? 21 season of, of The Bachelor has proven the Bible to be true. You know what? You know this show, right? It goes like this. Get one strapping, chiseled dude like me who just can't seem to keep a shirt on. Then you get like 30 beautiful women all living in a mansion that even if they pulled all their resources together, they could never afford. <laughs> and here's the game. Put them together and see who will fall in love. And within a matter of days, they're all in love. And as we go on, as it gets tougher, I mean, I just got to say, it's not that I watch the show, right? I mean, Leona does, but I'm a supportive husband, right? I'm a supportive husband. I'm a supportive husband. So, you know, I'm like, yeah. Um, but within four weeks, if I happen to watch it, uh, madness has broken out, right? You're left then with 14 women who are all in love with this guy and the poor guy has fallen in love with half the women. And by the time they get down to six roses, he gets up to call names and what does he do? Oh, I just can't do it. Right? Right? He just can't do it. And so the host comes in and he's like, what's the matter, man? What's the matter? And he's like, this is really hard. And he's like, yeah, I know it is. He goes, you know, tell me what's going on. And he says, like, I fall in love with all of them. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 
And then even in the third night of the show, like some girl gets sent home, right? And then they have this limo cam and she's like doing this confessional on her way out. And she's like, I, I thought we were going to be forever, forever. We were going to be together forever. He was my soulmate. Oh. Right, and that's like, that's a show. That's a whole show. Like, just limo drive to limo drive. <laughs> and in 21 seasons, here's what's cool. Here's what's cool. They always find a soulmate. Well, actually, that one season, they had that one jerk guy who chose nobody. But anyways, that's, we want to forget that. Not that I watched the show or anything. <laughs> Told you that. But here's the thing. Because when you put people in situations where they have to choose to be loving... Their heart always seems to follow. So The Bachelor puts these people on amazing dating situations, right? Very similar to the dates Leona and I go on, right? You know, when the helicopter picks us up on the lawn, takes us to the top of the glaciers where we have dinner under a canopy, and then it's carved out of ice, right? And then we walk over the snow-capped peak, and there's you two and Bono singing, with or without you, and then we start dancing, slow dancing, right? Just a regular date night, you know? I don't know what your date nights are like, but you know, ours are kind of subtle like that. <laughs> Why does this work? Because TV even understands that if you put people in situations where they choose to act in loving ways, the feelings will follow. Feelings will follow. So the big question is then what does it mean to act in loving ways? Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about that. But while we're here, and I've got a few minutes left, let me just say this. At its core, love is always others-centered. Love is for people willing to lose on their best interests. Because love, at its core, is not self-centered. That's the problem with falling in love. My emotions are all about me and how I feel, and that's self-centered. True love is a choice to be other-centered. It's about serving others and giving to others without regard to what you will receive in return. In another letter that Paul wrote to a group of people who considered themselves followers of Jesus in a city called Ephesus, he writes this specifically about how to pursue a healthy relationship. And specifically here, he's talking about marriage. He says this in Ephesians 5.21. He goes, husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, if you read the passage, he goes on later to talk about how wives submit to husbands and how husbands submit to wives. And, and, and this verse, honestly, has been misinterpreted and misquoted so many times. But here's what you need to know. Submission does not mean blind obedience or that there is some type of inferiority to one person over the other. Or there's this idea of one-sidedness in decision-making, responsibility, or weight of responsibility. When Paul says to submit to one another, he's saying that we put the needs and the desires of someone else ahead of our own and we serve them without regard for what we get in return. Now, why do we do that? Well, Paul answers that question. Out of reverence for Christ. 
Now, if you're a Jesus follower, you kind of get what I'm saying. But if that idea of reverence for Christ doesn't even make sense, let me just simplify it. In other words, we choose to conduct our relationships that way because Jesus, Jesus conducted his relationship with us in that way. When Jesus came into the world to pursue relationship with us, he allowed himself not only just to be put to death, but he himself, who was God, bore flesh. He became flesh. He, he, uh, uh, in Philippians it says he did not consider it robbery to be made equal with, you know, to be made equal with us as God in flesh. And he became and he was born as a baby. And God, God did this, Jesus did this, and it wasn't about his feelings. It wasn't about what was the best thing for him in the moment. It was about what was the best thing for us in the long term. He chose to sacrifice because he knew sacrifice would be the best way to show how much he loved us. Jesus chose to lose. And sacrifice is never the best choice in terms of the feelings it produces. It isn't. Uh, I just want to let you know that right now. Like, sacrifice is never the best choice in terms of the feeling it produces. If, if you are hoping that this talk towards sacrifice will help create greater sense of feelings and like euphoria, you are going to be severely disappointed with your life. But listen, sacrifice is always the best choice in terms of the love it produces. And this is why love, this is for losers. Love is for losers. And so if you're trying to uh, figure out how to get your relationship back on track, whether it's your marriage or another relationship, uh, over the next few weeks, we want to help give you hope by helping you to learn to love like Jesus. And so uh, this is kind of really not a message message, but kind of the intro to the message. And over the next several weeks and in a couple weeks, I have a, a really, I usually don't tell people we have guest speakers because um, one of the values around here is we, we love the opportunity for people to hear and understand God's word from many different voices so that they on their own can discern like, hey, is this God's word for my life? But in a couple weeks, I, I do want to let you know that Pastor Ben McEachern of Northridge Fellowship, who uh, is one of the planning churches, is going to become, is becoming here and he's going to be speaking and uh, you're not going to want to miss it but next week I want to invite you to come back in fact we have a party that we're throwing right after our gathering and you can join us we're going to have free food there's cornhole tournament is there any other any other stuff like going on I don't know I'm not playing it this year but anything else so you're going to want to be there free food okay are we bringing the grailer is Josh Hansen here we're not bringing the grailer what what are we doing Oh, the Grailer guy is getting married, but the food's going to be good, right? What is it? Walking tacos. We got anything else special? We have the ice cream truck coming? No. No ice cream truck. Okay. (laughs) So I'm trying to hype this up. Nobody's helping me. Come. Just come. Free for sacrifice because of the kind of love it produces. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 
Mia will teach you how to French kiss. If you don't know what that's all about. And we'll have episodes of The Bachelor running just as opportunities. No, but I want to invite you to come back over these next couple weeks. Because what we want to do is explore and maybe cast a vision for what true love looks like. And maybe, maybe you could invite a friend to maybe gain some hope about their current relationship or a friend or a coworker that needs to break a cycle of relationships so that they can too begin to understand that love is always a choice to lose, to put others first. And my hope for you is that in doing so, that really, uh, because I need this too, like I'm not gonna, not gonna pretend, I'm not gonna be like that, you know, pearly white smiled guy who pretends like his marriage is always perfect. I mean, we're just like you. It, it's tough sometimes. In fact, I was having dinner. <laughs> Here's the reality of it. If you talk to people who are going to be real about it, right where we were sitting, Leona's birthday was this week, by the way. She's, yeah, she's 28 again. Um, and, uh, and we were sitting with her sister, who is also 29. She's older. Uh, but we were sitting with another single person, and we were just talking about marriage, and, and her sister says something funny. It might have been because she had a couple drinks, but I don't know. Uh, but she said, she's like, you know, the first couple years of marriage are tough. And then, you know, in years five to seven, that's when it gets really tough. And then, you know, 10 to 15 is, you know, kind of even tougher. And then, you know, what's really, really tough is like 20 to 25. It's just, and I'm sitting here like doing the math. I'm like, so has it all been tough? Like, come on, come on. Like, come on. And, and, but you know, this is what we know, right? It's tough. It's tough. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Anything worth um, achieving should not come at an easy cost. And so, join us these next couple of weeks as we take a look at what does it mean that love is for losers. And this is my hope. This is my hope for us, for us, that we would all become the kind of people who would truly understand that love is for losers.